Welcome back to Six Ways to Sunday. This is episode two, and this is part two. I'm Kara Henderson-Sneed, along with Les Sneed, and we are talking with best-selling author Annie Duke about decision-making. Her books, Thinking in Bets and How to Decide, have made their way into Les's decision-making process. You say it all the time, and you talk about it uh, so much that, you know, every decision is a bet on the future. And so, and you say it all the time, Les, that, that your job is, and you kind of say it laughingly, but it's true, his job is to predict the future. And so there are so many things that you cannot predict, right. but you can get your decision with the right process and language and sorting so that you have the best of all possible chances at a particular outcome. It, my brain's running. We could... We could go many different ways here, but it's interesting because your 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 book talks a lot of right. You're making a bet, and there's an uncertain future, and you're trying to when you make the decision be as certain as possible. And that's where the sorting gets out to. What, what's interesting, also, your book will articulate. You become an expert by experience, right? And sometimes the uh, right the bad outcomes will cause you to do some sort of you know, looking back, hindsight, back casting, all of that to, to try to figure out where, where, uh, where we might've, you know, gotten wrong. So you become a expert by experience. And I've said, look, we may do all the sorting in the world and have many experts, coaching personnel, uh, analysts, uh, the, the analytics department, you, we have so many, we got an army trying to figure out these players, but if we're not certain, if we're kind of unsure, I've always said, look, we would rather that player go be good somewhere else than not be good for us. The other one that we could talk about where some of the mistakes are made that it'd be interesting where this goes is, and I call it sometimes the, the curse of the top 10, right? So let's just act like we, let's just, we've got to complicate. There's 22 players on the field. So let's act like in the draft, right? Each position has the same, superstar caliber player right so if there's 22 positions on the field technically the vertical board would have one through 22 but we're saying they're in the same bucket pod but interestingly in a draft uh i call it the curse of the top 10 because the earlier you pick in a draft there's this tendency at that point because okay wait a minute we got this uh unique opportunity probably because of a bad season previous year and and you need help that you're that you're actually trying to find a superstar you're almost reaching for the superstar you i call it a freak right and each draft there's only so many freaks born and freak i would articulate this way mom dad god gave this human being some element of physical talent that's freakish some years there's eight, some years there's 14. Then all of a sudden there's this subset of players and it may be the next 40 that have good talent, good conscientiousness, and they're all good football players, but not necessarily freaks. And I found in drafting and have been a part of one of those mistakes of, of making decision, trying to right, find the freak versus good football player. Enforcing the outcome, because you talk about it anywhere, you have this bias as a human being. And so much of what, you know, you guys have incorporated into your process and you talk about in your book is, you know, the brain is meant to make these decisions quickly 
and with these certain biases that are going to help shade your decisions because we are creatures who evolved over time to have to do that. Um, and so much of these processes are taking out it as best possible these biases from the equation. And one of them is, oh, well, I mean, that was just because he had problems on that team. But when he comes over here, once he comes out of college, I mean, in our situation, I mean, we can do, we can get more out of him than he may have gotten out of his college coach or his previous coach in the NFL or what have you, right? Like you have this bias as a human to think, but oh, but I'm different and my situation's different and the way we do things is different. So we're not going to have that same outcome. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So, okay. There's a lot in there. So I want to kind of address, so I want to, I'm going to go backwards. So I want to talk about what you just said, Kara, but then less going back to what you said, let me just quickly actually address one thing that you said about like, there'll be some, they'll physically be amazing, but you sort of forget what makes somebody a good poker player. I mean, a good football player, rather that's poker. Either way. Uh, a good, a good football player is that's actually, remember I said that one of the things we do is these substitutions. So uh, we, it's hard to judge decision quality. So we substitute outcome quality because that's easier to see. That actually is a form of substitution. What you just talked about where there's a whole bunch of things that would go into someone being a great performer on a team, but it's complicated. And so there's this thing that's very obvious to see, right? Like they're a freak in the positive sense of the word uh, physically. And, and so you, you, you over index on that. Like you, you take that as a substitution for what you're judging. So right. let me just say the way, the way to deal with that is to make sure that prior to seeing any particular player, you say, what are the qualities that we are going to make a judgment about that are going to tell us what, how we would rank this player overall? So one of them might be that thing, like, you know, just physically, like, where do they sit? Like zero to five, like what, what are they, you know, how fast do they run or whatever? But then you would include all the other things, like what's their work ethic? you know, what, so and so forth, like what's right, their, right. So, so I don't know what your rubric would look like, but you actually want to think about what are the overall categories that we care about. And then you want to break those down into what are called mediating judgments. What are the inputs into that judgment that I care about? And you want to make sure that you're doing that for every player that you see. And you understand that one thing shouldn't rule the day, that if they're negative on some other things, it shouldn't matter that they're a, a freak, right? Like, because the right. other things are going to outweigh that, but you have to do that in advance of seeing anybody because otherwise you'll tell yourself a story, which is, no, this, this physical thing is going to be so amazing and you'll do that substitution. I want to come back to the false positive, false negative thing, but let me go over let to me what do this said. too real quick, Annie, because it, it, I wrote it down and sure. the Rams hand would definitely know it. They may have guessed who I'm talking about and ended up being a really good kid. And because he was uh, somewhat freakish, once once we traded him from the Rams, he ended up uh, going on and continuing to start at other places until he ran into some adversity this offseason uh, in Greg Robinson. But he, but interestingly, now because of as you have you as you've turned becoming an expert with experience, right, and learning the hard way, learning too. the hard way, right, and and really trying to figure out, oftentimes uh, in in the draft room. Uh, the staff will hear me say, okay, I don't want to hear if this guy's big, tall, and talented. So in the case of an offensive lineman, right, an offensive lineman, right, needs to be big, needs to be tall. Being tall means you're wide and long, and you got long arms, and now you can grab the defensive lineman and, and keep him from 
getting to the offensive player carrying the ball, right? So, but I always go, hey, I don't want to hear that this guy's big, tall, and talented. I just want to know, can he get in the way and stay in the way? And and as we talk about, you know, biases, because I think that's the next little section I want to get into because it's such a huge part of how they've developed their process and how your work has impacted the Rams specifically. When you look at a group of people that are trying to make subjective decisions about a large group of people and there are many things that can come into play some of it is let's say i'm a local area scout and i uh you know go to alabama they treat me well or i go to uh, utah and they don't and or i like this coaching staff or that like there's so many different kinds of things that can factor into whether or not you like a player uh whether or not you're going to put a player at a certain range um, because, hey, what if, what if the boss um, thinks, you know, well of him or not? Um, there are so many biases that come into play in your process. And one of them, we can start backwards, is recency bias. So you come off the combine and Annie at the combine, uh, as you probably know, it's, they're, they're not playing football. They are just running drills. We're running straight for 40, uh, you know, 40 yard dash. We're doing uh, these certain drills, none of which you're ever going to actually see on a football field, but you can have some guy go through the combine and look amazing. And then people all of a sudden forget that, okay, let's, we should actually, instead of seeing what he just did at the combine, which happened more recently, we should go back and as you would say, watch the film. We do, because of your book and uh, the wisdom in it, we make sure that our analytics team is always giving us a warning like, hey, wait a minute, y'all had this player sorted here after watching that player play football during the fall, but he goes to the combine and does something unique in a non-football drill, and you've actually elevated him uh, on your draft board, and they alert us to go, are you sure? Uh, did y'all, did y'all, as you said, did y'all inflate? the 40 yard dash and now you're going to be wrong. So it's, it's pretty neat. how yeah, that's, books that's, come actually play why, that's why these rubrics are so, so great because you're, you're developing what are the, what are the things that are, we're going to input into the decision in advance of actually seeing a player. So we can all step back and say, yeah, the combine, like it's helpful, but it shouldn't really, doesn't really matter that much. Right. Like, you know, in absence of actually seeing somebody. But the problem is that when you're actually looking at them, you it's like it becomes the only thing that's there. And you sort of forget the thing that you committed to in the first place. By having a rubric, the combine would be some small part of it. But you would know that it's only a small part of like a whole picture. That Then it doesn't so much matter if they spike in their performance at the combine because you're forced to make judgments across the whole set that you've already decided are important in terms of the input. And that actually comes back to what you were talking about, Kara, which is you were basically describing the inside versus the outside view, right? That we get really caught up in the world from our own perspective, like whether it's recency bias or uh, we have some sort of idea that if we take that person from another team and bring them to ours, that somehow they're going to do so much better than they were doing at the other team because we have a lot of confidence and, you know, we're overconfident or we think that, oh, they would, we were, well, we think we have more control over outcomes than we actually do. And there's all sorts of ways, this is called the inside view, where we're sort of miss 
judging the world because we see it from our own models and our own perspective and our own beliefs about ourselves. And that's where all the cognitive bias is, right? Like recency bias is, is an inside view problem because it's my, it's my experience that I just had that makes me, over, you know, think that that's going to be that way. You know, confirmation bias. I'm trying to confirm my own beliefs. Like these right. are all things that have to do with the way that I view the world. So what we want to do is get to the outside view as much as possible, which is the perspectives of other people or what's true of the world in general. So if another player is at another team, that's set the base rate for me, right? This is generally how they perform. So if I think they're going to be better on my team, I better not think they're going to be a whole lot better. Like I'm not saying that they won't be better. Maybe they will be better. But it can't be that far off of what the base rate is. It can't be that different than what you're actually already seeing just because of like the law of gravity. So, so we want to always be saying like, okay, let's think about this from the outside, recognize how they performed with the other team. And then we can think about how much better they'd be with us. But we need to understand that we need to be in that, that realm. We need to be in the universe of what we think they're capable of, which shouldn't be too far off of that. Another way to get to the outside view is what I'm talking about, which is like creating these really good lists of what are, what are the inputs, what are the criteria, what are the things that, that these mini judgments that we're making that are going to help us judge the overall category that are going to discipline us to all the things that we have decided are important to this judgment, not the thing we just saw. Not the thing that just has to do with my mental model in this moment or whether I happen to, you know, Alabama treats me well as a scout. They take me out for some steak dinners or whatever. So I have warm feelings about them. Now, and they do do that. We call that yeah. the uh, Alabama kryptonite is there you because go. they treat you so well there so that. We, right, we and then this, but that wouldn't be so. That's not on the rubric. Like the rubric isn't did you did you have a steak dinner? So that's also really helpful. And then the other thing that you can do when you once you create these like these judgments that you make and you've thought about those in advance is that one scout can fill that out, you know, and then less you fill it out, and another scout maybe fills that out, and an analyst fills it out, or whoever you get a whole, you know, the head coach fills it out, whatever you get a lot right. of different perspectives, but that you fill that out in advance of ever talking about the player in a group. You, we have. Uh implemented that and, and the neat thing is the return on bad luck of covid because of the quarantine and now doing uh, a lot of draft meetings and prep via calls like this zoom it's actually allowed us to even improve that where where everyone is is giving their subjective analysis in a silo and then the first time we all see it is right poof we all get on the, in right. one meeting and there it is and now there's there's no oh wow the head coach likes this player i don't so am i really going to i'm really dissent? gonna say that in the middle of the meeting so you right. but when it's just poof there and the nice thing is as your book talks if one thing we've learned a lot from is okay how do we how do we engineer and organize ways to dissent where it's productive, it's truth seeking and not a boxing match because, right. Uh, right. We've all seen that. Most of us are highly confident people trying to predict the future and, and dissent can lead to, okay, trying to win an argument versus trying to actually make right. the best decision for the And right. this is where, like, if we take something kind of more anodized, something like, you know, work ethic. So let's say that you rate them on a scale of zero to five, you give them a five on work ethic. I give them a two, right? 
all that happens is that in the meeting now you can actually dissent in this way that's like really agreeable in the sense that I just say, hey, Les, you, get, you gave the person a five. You gave this player a five on work ethic. Could you just give your rationale? Like what are the things that you saw in them that makes you think that, that they have really good work ethic? Maybe you talked to a particular coach or maybe you went and talked to their high school math teacher or something. Like you, you just give your reasons for why. And then you come to me and say, why did you give them a two? And I'm like, well, I talked to their high school math teacher. They said they never turned in a homework assignment on time, right? Like they, they didn't have any work ethic in terms of trying to succeed in high school. And I just think that's going to translate, right? And I get to say that, but we're not arguing with each other, notice. I'm just telling you why I gave my rating. You're telling me why you gave your rating. And then we can just sort of surface all that information, which right. normally doesn't happen in groups. And in groups, actually, mostly it's like exactly like you said, like, you know, man, if the head coach thinks the person has a really good work ethic and I've got, I've got this information about their high school thing, I'm just going to discard it because I'm assume, oh, maybe that's not important or maybe I'm just wrong. We have this problem for in, as individuals that we decide through the inside view. So this, filling out a rubric like this can help us individually, but the best thing we can do is to find out what somebody else thinks. That's actually the best way to get outside of the inside view and like allow those views to collide. But the way that groups usually work, you don't actually get to find that out because the head coach says something and then everybody else shuts up. And Les does a good job of that, of holding, and he's good, he's got a poker face for this, for holding his opinion until the end. And, and oftentimes he won't even tell me, um, which I don't appreciate. Well, but, it, but it is, it's important. And, and yeah. it's, it's important especially because People may not, I mean, so much about bias is that you don't realize that you're doing it. You don't realize it exists and you're trying to, you're trying to fit into a group. That is just That's psychology. Right. That is evolution. That is the way we're wired to be, to not be the one person that's standing outside the group lone wolf saying, but that's not the way I see it. But that's what's great about the way they've developed their process is if you have that devil's advocacy and if you have the people who aren't afraid to dissent and it becomes a culture of uh, productive dissent, which I love going into their draft meetings because that's what it's like. Um, you feel that, okay, they are all speaking the same language. So when they say a two, everybody understands what a two is. It's not my two and your two are two very different twos. Um, but they also, they're speaking a specific language very much to them, but that everybody has an equal voice, even though Les eventually is going to be the one that has to make the decision. So he's going to hold his cards close to the vest. Um, right, and, and but I want to I want to talk about one specific thing because this is important. Okay. This is a very unless what what do you want to talk? Let about? Let me do this, quick? and then you write down your specific thing. Oh, I know what I it is. It's easy. It's Aaron Donald. I, I wrote this <laughs> interesting. Good, Aaron Donald will be great. Four things, real quick. As, and I'm going to keep it simple. We let our we try to get our analytics team right to if let's just say we have these five buckets and it could be intangibles it could let's just call it combine right. let's call it uh, football our subjective rating him playing football so there's five buckets so we'll go to Cooper Cup who plays wide receiver for us uh, because and and it can be different positions but the analytics team is trying to somehow right do some regression analysis analysis to say these buckets for these positions seem to matter more than those buckets. So Cooper Cup, as an example, goes to the combine, runs a uh, less than ideal 40-yard dash. But because we were going to uh, 
because of what we were going to ask Cooper Cup to do in our offense, the 40 isn't weighted as much as maybe uh, it is during the combine or right after the combine when uh, it is neat headlines to see who the fastest player was at the combine. Because when you're a receiver, you have these nuances to run routes. And if you go really fast straight lines, sometimes it's hard to go left or right real quick. So sometimes the faster receivers are the uh, least polished receivers. So that's one thing. But in that draft, we actually picked another player uh, before him, both of them productive for us. Cooper, Cooper, a starter, Gerald Everett, the tight end, uh, is is a second player for us, but a role player, an important player, and started the other night because our starter was injured. But the reason we picked Gerald first is through the sorting, through the buckets. We First of all, there's less tight ends in the draft than wide receivers, so they're going to run out faster. And players like Gerald who are – more physically gifted at a combine type setting will go earlier, right? So we knew we had to pick him to get both players. We had to pick Gerald before Cooper. That's, that's, uh, that's when you make a great point on area scouts and take the steak dinner out. But what we try to do with our area scouts, they have a certain area of the country. So let's say the, the scout in our, in let's call it big 10 country, right. And uh, has a player, Let's say at Penn, that's his favorite player, Annie, right? Good Penn player. How many of those are? But as an example, we only let that scout come in and discuss when his players are being discussed because in a very group setting, you might end up having that scout go against a player you're really not familiar with because biasly right he even though we're not giving these bonuses out for most players drafted for an area he has an affinity for his he has like a territory he's trying to defend yeah, everybody exactly. wants their players to get yeah, drafted exactly then good. exactly so that's yeah and then I, the last thing i would say about the process in terms of less you withholding is that i think it's really important that when you have these discussions that you're listening to you're getting everybody's opinions right. that they really understand that there's there's no uh there's no expectation that they end up agreeing with each other because all that you care about is hearing all of the opinions. And if they all end up agreeing with each other, there's no reason to have them all. You would fire everybody, but one of them. So, because you wouldn't need all the different perspectives. And I think that that's so, I think it's so incredibly helpful to these types of processes that it's like, you're just finding out, hey, why do you think they're low on this? And hey, why do you think they're high on this? And then there isn't another step, which is, okay, now you need to argue with each other because you have to end up agreeing. It's just, right. okay, great. You've told me, all right, I know why you think this. You think something different. I know why. So now I've got all the data and I have all the different perspectives. And I'm not going to listen to you guys try to convince each other because I don't care because that's why I have both of you on my, my team to decide, help me decide. So now I'm going to go off and make the decision. So one of the things I think we need to realize is like the the goal of a good group process is not to end up in agreement. It's actually to inform the the person who's deciding. So, you know, so I think that's also like, and I think, and, and I think a lot has been obviously made of this over the last six months and rightfully so. I think uh, the Rams organization really good at this. There are a lot of diverse opinions and backgrounds in that room. So the fact that people are coming from very different perspectives 
whether it's areas of the country, how they grew up, whether they played football at this kind of college or that kind of college, or whatever they might bring to the table personality-wise. Like having that diverse set of brains in a group so that they aren't all thinking the same way, so you don't get groupthink. They're all thinking in slightly different ways so that you can take this almost like as a portfolio decision, but then make a great bet. And, you know, so let's talk about the greatest bet. So the year that we drafted Aaron Donald with that second pick in the first round of that draft, and Les talks about the curse of the top 10. Well, he was not in the top 10. What number did you pick him at? 13, 13. 14, 13. 13. So Aaron Donald, we pick him at 13. And wouldn't you know it, everybody's like, I don't know, like, he's kind of short and you know, all of these little things that, that kind of added up that maybe height, weight, speed wasn't quite, you know, what you would have as the prototype at that position. Wouldn't you know it? We have a guy now who a lot of people think will be going to the Hall of Fame one day because of what? What did you, what was the important part of that decision that you kept coming back to? I always say when you went to see him at the orchestra, which is play football, all he did was make a lot of football plays. So when you would watch actually a game, and let's say nowadays a, a college football defense may play 80 to 100 plays based on the way the game's going, you, you would watch Aaron Donald and feel like you're watching a highlight film. There, our team president, Kevin Nimoff, came in and one time said, wow, that's a, that was a really good, we call them point of attack tapes, right, where you basically cut up and take the best plays the players ever made. And it ends up being about a 30 play highlight reel. And I remember telling Kevin, no, that was just, you know, just a normal Saturday in November in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So the first time I did see him live was at the senior bowl. And in, in that particular senior bowl on the offensive line, there's a guy named Zach Martin who went in the same draft, who will probably be a hall of famer, guard who was actually a left tackle at Notre Dame and he, and he was he's with the Cowboys now uh unfortunately recently injured but part of their really good line but I remember the first time seeing Aaron Donald was go against Zach Martin and Aaron won many many times that day but it, the, the being able to see him against the best and then asking uh, at the combine right interviewing Zach Martin hey who was the best player you played against all year and he said didn't play against Aaron Donald during the season but the senior bowl is a nightmare, right? You're, you're getting the insight right. from that. And you're getting that, that, that kind of um, data that you really know actually impacts the very, the most important thing that you have, which is how does this person play football? So as you always say, I always go back to the film. You know, when you start getting this other yeah. data that can pull you in a direction, you know, oh, you know, he missed his science class and now he's going to fail science. Well, okay, but what about football? Yeah, we call <laughs> <You know? laughs> it any noise. We call it the fog because you think about this, the way the draft process goes. Right after the draft in May and June, we watched pretty much the next crop of draft players play football as underclassmen. And then in September, October, November, we watched them play, let's call it their last year before they now – let's say January, February, March, April, everything that occurs during those months, which are the most recent months or the closest months to the draft is the player not playing football, right? It's a good 
combine. It's a really good interview verse. Uh, let's call it the, the, the guy was sleepy and he might've been tired because he had 14 interviews at the combine and we happened to get him at the 15th and he's just exa- right. But it's interesting. We always say, okay, we got to cut through the, when the fog clears, right. You know, when the dust settles, when the noise, we got to go back to the football tape and, and that'll help us, uh, you know, clear. I, I call it answer. The question to the, the answer to the test is what we did watching him play football. All right, so now I want to, I want to, I want to just go going off of the Aaron Donald thing. I want to talk about the false positive, false negative thing. Can we talk about that for a second? Is that okay? Yes, yeah, sir. you I'll get, you down. get the, you get the last big chunk here before we don't take too much of your time because I know okay. you're doing a book so tour. So you were talking about what do you do if you're if you're kind of unsure, right? Do you, yes. Do you, so so you have a choice, right? If you're if you're unsure, you could say there's some group of people that I'm unsure about. Um, that, so you could think about like, they've definitely, you've sorted them into, I definitely would like them, but then you have some band of like, "Mm, I don't know. So we can think about, do you want to draft? Would you lean toward drafting the, I don't knows, or would you lean toward letting the, I don't knows go? And that has to do with, um, uh, so that one would, so it has to do with a little bit of how can you tolerate a particular type of error? So you mentioned it. So a false positive would be you draft somebody who turns out to be bad. That would be a false positive. And then a false negative would be you don't draft somebody who turns out to be a superstar. So what we always want to think about when we're thinking about which type of error do we want to tolerate is what's the penalty for each error? So we can think about this, like think about, so venture capital, this is a good way to think about this. Um, With venture capital, we know that like all your returns are going to be driven by like the Ubers, right? So what we can know there is that a false negative is a terrible mistake in venture, right? You can tolerate a lot of false positives. I invested something in a company that didn't work out. But in terms of like what's going to drive your returns, you really don't want to tolerate I missed Uber. That's a terrible thing to do. Okay. So I think what's, what's right. So what's interesting is that as we think about how can we tolerate those different errors, we want to think about two things. One is um, what's the cost if they don't work out? Right. So that's the thing, like in venture, the cost of the company not working out, is not much because you invest very little compared to what that potential return is. Right. So that's the first thing I think is what's the cost if they don't work out? And the second thing is how much can I change the decision if they don't work out? That's the other thing that you would want to think about. So what I would suggest to you, Les, because you said across the board, you tend to prefer false negatives to false positives. So I would actually think about that by position. Yeah, I was, I did, I wrote down, right. Probably the, in football, the Uber category would be when you're, right, determining maybe the QB. And, right, if you take this QB or not or take another position and then someone else, right. In, in All the people that didn't draft Patrick Mahomes yeah, that so could that, have drafted him in that draft. That's, is, that's, that's, he's that's missing on the Uber and that one's – and then the other position – Russell Wilson – so you, I think you're 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 definitely onto something, and and, so, yeah, and, so and the, probably and also Annie, where you're picking like in in the first round, because we talk about darts, right? There's a right. there's a subset around maybe third, fourth, where you can throw a dart. If you miss, it's not a 
it's not crucial. But big picture, Annie, and then I'll let you go, is the worst thing that can happen to you is that player get picked by someone in your division and you play that player twice a year, right? And the other would be goes to another team and you play that player maybe every fourth year, take playoffs out of it, things like that. So you, I think as a team you could weather uh, position players. Now, if another team gets an Aaron Donald, you got to play him twice. That's but now if you passed on the Uber of Patrick Mahomes and now have to play that player twice a year and for the next you know, 12 to 15 years, that player is in your division. It, it certainly may. That yeah, is so definitely gets into your Uber category. That Uh-oh. does not. Yeah. That does not pass the happiness test. Yes. No. Yeah. So that's, so I just want to put that out there that like, you want to think about it that way. So, so the, the other thing I would, so, so on that point, what I would say is mostly when people draft quarterbacks, they're not great. So you're trying to find that one great one, right? Like that you're trying to right. pick that one great one out which means probably you should be trying to be, you know, you're going to have a first string quarterback, second string quarterback, third string quarterback. You would be more likely to sort of, particularly if you're drafting into the second string, just be like, let's try it because maybe they will be amazing. Maybe they will be that person. But the other thing to think about is has to do with that. How can I, how much can I reverse it? So there's certain right. positions where there's a lot more trading that goes on because you can kind of move people in and out of that position a little bit better. So like there's some, like I assume, again, I'm going to probably show some lack of football knowledge, but like special teams, right? It's like you can probably take a few more chances on the special teams and not to, if you're not sure about somebody, you might lean toward drafting them just because if they don't work out, it's pretty easy to, to switch them in and out. So that that's another thing to think about, right? Is that the more that you can kind of switch in and out of the position, the more that you would tend to say, I'm not really, you know, if I have a false positive, it's not such a big deal because if they don't work out, like I I can probably move them in and out pretty easily because I've got some flexibility there. So I'm just like offering, like those are two frameworks for thinking about when would you tolerate one or the other. And you wouldn't want to apply that across all positions equally. You would, and I I don't have the answer for you. I'm just saying like, you would want to think about that, right? Like good framework to think about. I think too, and you wouldn't want to apply it by um, rounds either. Cause that's the way I would kind of wrap that up. Cause Les talks about, and I, I, he talks about throwing darts and when people will go off of this podcast and look you up and read some of the great articles that you've written, not about football, but about how to make decisions in life and business and all of that you talk about an archer's mindset. And I thought of you and Les always says, especially in the late rounds, you know, well, I mean, this guy has this huge potential upside. He may not work out, but we might as well throw a dart because what if he's one of, what if he's Tom Brady? What if we end up in the sixth round and we end up getting an, an Uber and we just kind of, because we took a chance and Hey, if it doesn't work out, it's it, as you refer to it, it's a free roll. And, you know, that's one of the fun things. I mean, when you get into the draft, and I hope one day, Annie, this is my offer to you, that we can return the favor of you being one of our first guests on the podcast and have you come and sit in either draft meetings or in the draft room on the day and see how this happens in real time. Because it is such a dynamic process when you're doing all of this under a time crunch, but you've spent so long and there still is that you have to wait. You have to wait and see what happens before you, before you can actually make a decision. So it is much more than chess. 
it's poker. Yeah, that's you, you don't know that you don't know what teams are thinking. You don't know whether you should yeah. go trade up and get the player you really want. And you want. can't know. Those are the unknowable you know, things. They're all they're all bets. They're all probabilistic. And you know what's interesting though, Annie? Before the nuance in all of this, uh, uh, pre, not necessary. So we've had let's call it three collective bargaining agreements ago. For, let's call it first round picks. Uh, and think about their amateurs, their college players coming to the NFL, but they ended up being your highest paid players based on there was no uh, there was no structural rules on how much you could play pay players. Right. Uh, there was just case studies and players right. could hold out. So interestingly, in those days, you make that bet and it ends up being you're going all in false positive. You, you you're stuck with that player. Not only maybe he's not producing for you, but you're also paying him more money than anyone else on your team. Yeah, so in that and case, you'd want to yeah, go with, you, yeah, you prefer yeah. a false negative. Now, now because That's of the, really interesting. the rules have changed where there's a cap on rookie salaries. Uh, there's a, because what happens too is it's hard to even move that player, trade that player to another team. Cause he, it's so much money involved, but now because there's flexibility there, less money, you can, you make, make a bet, it not work out as well for you and even trade that player to another team. Cause there's not a lot of financial ramifications yeah, and, and I it's think so, like a dart for them. Exactly. So that's that, you know, that has to do with the, like how easy is it for you to move that person in and out? So this all has to do with like, imagine it doesn't work out well, like, kind of what's the impact to me of that, right? And that could be, yeah. uh, well, I can trade them away or it didn't cost me that much in the first place, right? Because I wasn't paying them that much money. So I didn't have to use up that much of my salary cap in order to take a chance. So the more that that's the case, the more that it's like pretty low cost to you to have the bad result, the more that you're like, I can tolerate a false positive because it's not a big deal. Like if it turns out not to work out well, it didn't cost me very much. I had a lot of flexibility. I could kind of move them in and out not such a big deal when you start to get into like this is going to cost me a lot of money if i'm wrong i'm going to be kind of stuck with it because i'm not going to be able to get rid of that i'm going to get fired right (laughs) you know which happens then then you're going to tend to want to avoid the false negative you don't you don't want to you know that then you're like uh i you know i really want to make sure that this person is probably working out well and and that's a perfect way to think about the late rounds of the draft here's a good one and you you're going to miss your well, you're selling your books, but think about this. And this is the one that I got to work on and I'll be interesting to hear. So let's say that myself, the GM who ultimately has to live with and is responsible for the decision, but as a GM, the amount of collaboration that goes into this, right? I, I go into every decision going, okay, I don't have the answer. And every expert in the room has right a piece of the answer and, basically my job is to put the pieces together and let's make the best decision. So what if as the ultimate decision maker, right? The uh, entrepreneur per se, I'm, I'm the least sure in the room, but uh, unless even some very trustworthy experts, teammates, partners are sure. That's the, that's one I've struggled with. Like, okay, do I, let me just turn the card over. And because I, because personally I have to live with the decision, but ultimately the Rams have to live with it. That's a hard one uh, because we're all making a bet. And you'll appreciate this. I, I, I now say what we do in the draft room, right? We're trying to figure out what the better bets to make. 
Uh, so we've totally butchered your book and brought it to the draft room. And you would think we're, you know, Annie Duke thinking in bed geeks, but, uh, but you're in that situation where maybe as the, the one most yeah. accountable your main, one of your big responsibilities, right. Is the, is to help the organization make the best decision, not necessarily just listen to your, your own biases, analysis, brain and all that. Well, obviously, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's going to depend on the specifics of the situation. But yeah. one of the things is that a lot of times when somebody's very, very sure of their decision, they're actually overconfident, right? So you have to think about what, how much signal is in that? How much does this go against what they normally believe, right? So if it's somebody, if, if it's somebody who's like, you know, like normally they would decide the other way, but they're really sure, in this particular case, like no, th this is someone who always says no, but now they're saying yes. And they're so sure of it. I put a lot more weight on that than somebody who always says no. And they're saying no again. And they're telling you how sure they are of it. I'm going to put a big discount on that. So that's one thing to think about is like, are they going against their normal patterns? Cause that's going to tell me a little bit of something about how much I'm supposed to read the, the, how sure they are. The second thing is you always want to think about when someone's really confident, is there someone who's equally well-informed whose decision I should really wait as much who is not confident? So one thing that happens is that the confident person tends to overshadow the, the fact that somebody who's equally well-informed, who's equal, as equally good at these types of decisions, doesn't have the same confidence as that person. And we have this default to, to sort of believe the person who's really confident. But right. it's just as much signal that the person who is equally well-informed and equally expert in this decision doesn't have the same confidence in that decision. So then you actually want to sort of come down and, you know, you want to come down in between the two or you want to definitely discount the confidence of the one person and maybe discount the confidence, the lack of confidence of the other and sort of come in between those two in terms of the way that you're um, uh, think about those because what, what happens this is kind of just generally omission commission bias is that the person is not confident it's, it's sort of like they're saying I don't really know I'm not going to make it you know it, it's kind of right. like not making a decision whereas the person who's confident we tend to just we tend to look toward those lights a little bit more but we need to realize if the other people in the room who are just as expert don't have hold that same opinion that you need to weight those two opinions exactly the same that's that's number two um and then then it's up to you to sort of square all of that right like you you're the one who has to put all of that together and model that properly having seen those different points of view and those different levels of confidence that's kind of number two and then number three is and this i think is a really important trick is that when the decision doesn't matter so much like when you don't care so much about a false positive um it's always good to let someone just sort of assert like you get a certain number of times a year where your confidence just kind of wins out. We and call that in the scouting world, standing on the table for someone right. when exactly. it's like the person is willing to do that, especially if they are like some of our scouts, um, more introverted. Um, we had that situation this year and we ended up drafting a guy um, in the, what round was it? Sixth round? Who was it? Uh, Jordan, jo Fuller, oh, Jordan Fuller. Yes. Um, who has become a, you know, amazing player for that reason. He did exactly what you mentioned, Annie, which is, hey, this guy doesn't usually do this. And for him to speak up in this way and to be that confident about it, right, then we must. Was that yeah, the if I give you the personality trait, this, this person would be uh, equally well-informed, not naturally 
an extrovert, not naturally, right? I'm yeah. going so to. So when that, when that person's speaking up, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm going I'm to put a lot of weight on that. So it's like, you have to sort of figure out what your algorithm is and then recognize that that real confidence is, is generally like a shiny object that you're going to look at. So right. you need to be thinking about how is that relating to the other people in the room? How does it relate to their past patterns? And then I think it's always good when it's like a low impact decision to right. allow some people just to like get a win, even if everybody else in the room disagrees with them. I think that's just good culturally for a team, but you have to make sure that it's not, you know, it's not for the first round quarterback pick. Right. I, bet, like, I think it's quarterback and everything else. And, but I, I, one of the decision, and it goes back to what I forgot. First of all, I often say, look, when we go to draft, especially at some of these low M impact rounds, decisions per se, I, and they're all making impact, but I'm like, look, there's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, but there's, it's like lower. It's relatively. But I often say the stars hadn't aligned with there's just one player that's the perfect player for the Rams. There's, right. there's, there's a few players at that spot on the board. Always trying to avoid this group think, right? I know how dangerous that can be, uh, right? Uh, but sometimes I'll give an example to a player who's been really good to us. We drafted in the late third round of the year we drafted Cooper Cup, John Johnson, a safety. But when we went to make the pick, there was maybe a player that, okay, it wasn't necessarily a consensus of sureness. Uh, so there was, as you said, somebody who equally informed, but uh, maybe more doubt. So what we ended up doing is going, okay, let's don't take that player, right? Because if we don't play, take him and he goes and he's good somewhere else, we're going to be, we're going to weather the storm. And we have, but then we went with the player that, okay, there was a more consensus conviction uh, and it was uh, John Johnson, a safety. And we, and at that point in time, we didn't necessarily need a safety uh, as more, as much as this position, this other player played, right? So we were going to pass on a position of need to get a, let's call it a, a more convicted player. And mm -hmm. you know what, in the end of the day, I, it worked out for us, right? Because, uh, you know, our starter ended up – John Johnson ended up getting – you know, beating that player out about week four, and he's been a starter for ever since. So you ended up kind of yeah. making that type of decision then. See, and this is exactly why we started this podcast, because as we did when we first talked to you, Annie, we, we scheduled an hour, and it could go on for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. I love talking to you guys. You know. Oh, that. we do. And same back to you. And it's this is why we started this podcast, Six Ways to Sunday. Annie Duke, thank you so much for joining us. Her books, Thinking in Bets, and also the newly out, How to Decide. And I cannot recommend those more highly. I The great thing, Annie, is there are certain books that I always recommend to certain kinds of people. Your books, you can give to everybody. Everybody oh. makes decisions all day long. So you can always get better at your decisions. And we're not getting on the soapbox because we'll go for another hour and a half, two hours. But if you're a parent. I'm going to have to teach you how to rap. I'm going to have to teach you how to rap. Wrap up. If you're a parent, <laughs> there's no textbook. There's no class better than how to. And, and that's for the next podcast because Annie also is a philanthropist. They've started a um, charity called uh, the Alliance for Decision Making. Is that right? Did I get it Alliance right? Alliance for Decision Education. Yeah. Alliance for Decision Education, trying to get decision education into schools and 
we're going to continue to try to help you along those lines as Thank well. Because you guys have been I told so the guy amazing. in our high school last week, I said, if I'm going to teach the course, what I should have learned in high school, this book, Thinking in Bets and How to Decide also would be on the curriculum. Annie Duke, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you so much. So there you go. There is another episode of Six Ways to Sunday. Annie Duke was awesome, as we expected. You can get this podcast and all other Rams podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. And we'll be back with another interesting topic and guest sometime very soon. Thanks for listening.